My mother-in-law's name is Alma, and in our house, she's affectionately known as Grandma Alma. Now, I need to stop for a moment, and I just want to address the live stream for a couple reasons, because <laughs> I know Grandma Alma is watching. And so I don't want, I, Grandma Alma, I don't want you to think that I'm here talking about you. I know you're watching. She lives in the Toronto area in Canada. And so what I'm going to share, you already know. And so this is for the rest of us here. You know I'm not talking about my mother-in-law behind her back. Everything I'm about to tell you, she's already very well, well aware of. And I know that she's, she's okay with this. So if you are on our live stream, I'm so glad that you joined us today. And Alma, I love you. You always, always got to put in the bank with the in-laws, right? <laughs> Grandma Alma is a pioneer. She spearheaded the movement in Canada that saw the, um, the ability for women to be ordained and licensed as pastors in Canada. She spearheaded that movement and that swept across the nation. In her 50s, as a, as, a, as a single lady, she moved from Canada to the inner city Los Angeles to work, actually not even work, excuse me, to volunteer at the LA Dream Center, which is in the inner city for an entire year unpaid. She moved by herself. She is a dynamic preacher, a powerful intercessor. She is extravagantly generous. She's a courageous leader and a loving pastor. Grandma Alma is also a little absent-minded. Many times, often, she will lose her keys or her wallet. And when this happens, she goes into panic mode. She begins to freak out because she cannot find them. And you know, if you lose your wallet or your keys, that means someone is now breaking into your house. They've got your car. They've stolen all of your identity. It's only been about five seconds since the last time that she saw it. But she's panicking because she cannot find it. And she will begin to frantically search through her purse and her handbag, dumping it out only to find it right where she left it. This happened so frequently growing up for Renee that... Her family would be walking through, through a mall. Renee would be walking with her father and they'd be walking down the mall and all of a sudden, Grandma Alma would begin to panic because she cannot find her wallet and she'd stop. And she's literally in panic mode in the middle of the mall and she's going through her wallet, frantically going, I can't find my wallet, I can't find my wallet. I don't know where I left it. Was it at the last store? And then she starts dumping out her wallet and Renee and her dad would not even stop walking. This happens so often. She's back here freaking out. They're walking and they're talking. They're window shopping. Because inevitably what happens is a few moments later, she'll declare, I found it. It's okay. I've got my wallet. Every time. One day about 10 years ago, she was on an adventure with my two kids. I've got two kids. My son's name is Josiah who lives in Northern California. And my daughter Faith was playing the keys this morning. So about 10 years ago, she's on an adventure with my kids. And I'm sure she was off to buy them something because Grandma Alma is always blessing her grandkids. Well, this one day, she's driving down the street and then she makes a left-hand turn. And she makes a left-hand turn down a one-way street going the wrong way. She didn't even notice because she is like locked in looking for this store where, she, where she's going. My son Josiah, who at the time was was about 11 years old, speaks up from the back seat. Um, Grandma, you're going the wrong way. No, 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 this, this is it. We're, all, we're almost there. Everything's okay. No, Grandma, 
this is a one-way street and you're going the wrong way. Realizing her error, she swiftly swerves off the road and onto a side street. No harm, no foul. Classic Grandma Elma. Classic Grandma Elma. How many of you have ever driven the wrong way down a one-way street? I mean, I, I know I have. It's, it's actually a little terrifying. You know, you get halfway down the block and you're like, why are all the cars pointed this way? <laughs> if you got your Bibles, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 24. If you don't have your Bibles, no worries. We'll have the, we'll have the scriptures on the screen as well. But Luke chapter 24, we're going to read verses 13 to 35. As we look at this passage, we're going we're gonna to look at a story about two guys who were going the wrong way. Starting in verse 13, this is the, just for context, this is the morning, Easter Sunday morning. This is, this is the time. It says, later that same day, two of Jesus' disciples were walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, a journey of about 17 miles. And they were in the midst of a discussion about all the events of the last few days when Jesus walked up and accompanied them in their journey. They were unaware that it was actually Jesus walking alongside them, for God prevented them from recognizing him. And Jesus said to them, you seem to be in a deep discussion about something. What are you guys talking about so sad and gloomy? And they stopped, and the one named Cleopas answered, haven't you heard? Are you the only one in Jerusalem unaware of the things that have happened over the last few days? And Jesus asked, what things? The things about Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they replied. He was a mighty prophet of God who performed miracles and wonders. His words were powerful and he had great favor with God and the people. But three days ago, the high priest and the rulers of the people sentenced him to death and had him crucified. We had all hoped that he was the one who would redeem and rescue Israel. But early this morning, some of the women informed us of something amazing. They said they went to the tomb and they found it empty. They claimed that two angels appeared to them and told them that Jesus is now alive. Some of us went to see for ourselves and we found the tomb exactly as the women had said, but no one else saw him. Jesus said to them, why are you so thick-headed? I'm pretty sure he said that to me a few times. Why do you find it so hard to believe every word the prophets have spoken? Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to experience all these sufferings and afterward enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he carefully unveiled to them the revelation of himself through the scriptures. As they approached the village, Jesus walked on ahead, telling them he was going on to a distant place. But they urged him to remain there with them and pleaded, stay with us. It will be dark soon. So Jesus went with them into the village. Joining them at the table for supper, he took bread, he blessed it, and broke it, and then gave it to them. All at once, their eyes were opened and they realized it was Jesus. Then suddenly in a flash, Jesus vanished from before their very eyes. Stunned, they looked at each other and said, why didn't we recognize him? Didn't our hearts burn with the flames of holy passion while we walked beside him? Cleopas and another unnamed disciple who's a follower of Jesus, had left Jerusalem and they were walking down the road, 17-mile walks to Emmaus. It's actually believed by many people that, that this is the community, the little village that, that these two men were, were from. So they were walking home. They were walking away from Jerusalem where Jesus was crucified. They were walking away from Jerusalem where their community was. They traveled for three years with Jesus. And there was a large group gathering of people that traveled around with Jesus. 
They were walking away from that. They were walking away from their friends. They were walking away from Jesus and they were packing it all in and going home. Now these men, even though they were part of the, the large crowd, which you know many people don't realize, we, we often think of it as Jesus and his 12 disciples and that's it. That's all that traveled around. But there was actually a large crowd that went with him pretty much everywhere that he went. But these two, Cleopas and the other that we don't know their name, they weren't a part of the, what we look at as the 12 disciples who then became the 12 apostles, but they were a part of that larger crowd. Followed him around for three years. And here they are walking in the wrong direction. Jesus comes up and starts walking with them, but God prevented them from recognizing who he was. They're going the wrong way, and yet Jesus is walking with them. How many of you are glad that Jesus walks with us when we walk the wrong way? There are times in life where we are going to walk through things that are so painful, things that are so traumatic, that we will be tempted to turn around and walk the wrong way. Some people, when this happens, they completely abandon their faith. They're like, this Jesus thing, I'm done. And they walk the wrong way. Other people, when they experience these times of, of pain and, and, and trauma, they begin to pull away. They begin to isolate. So they pull away from their church community, their church family. They pull away from their friends and their family. Some of them, they try to change what the truth is to fit their lifestyle because their lifestyle and truth doesn't match up. And so instead of changing their lifestyle to, to match the truth, they just decide, oh, I'm going to try and change the truth to match my lifestyle. But Jesus comes along and he walks with us when we walk the wrong way. There are some people, some people have been so wounded and hurt by other people. And some have been so wounded and so hurt even by the church that, they, that they, they begin to what's called deconstruct their faith. They take all of the things that they learned, some from, from little children, they grew up in the church, all of these, these scriptural truths and principles that they learned, and they begin to take them apart, and they begin to deconstruct their faith and turn away from everything that they once knew was true and truth. Jesus is still walking with them, even when they're going the wrong way. Sometimes... Sometimes we get so discouraged in life, circumstances, and situations. I mean, life will beat you up. And we give up. And we just give up. We just kind of settle into life. And we stop pursuing our God-given dreams, our purpose, our calling, the things that he has for us. We begin to walk the wrong way. Maybe not abandoning our faith. I mean, people, these people, they, they sit among us week after week, Sunday after Sunday. They might even sit beside you, but they've just stopped dreaming. They've stopped pursuing their calling. They've stopped really pursuing Jesus. They're just kind of going through the motions. Jesus still walks with us when we are going the wrong way. Now listen, you might walk away from Jesus, but Jesus will never walk away from you. He walks with you even when you walk away. He will walk with you. Now, it's important to not miss this next, this next thing I'm going to say. We, you have to catch this. That Jesus walking in the wrong way with someone is not a, a sign of his agreement or his approval upon their life. When Jesus walks with us and I'm walking the wrong way and he comes up alongside of me and he starts walking with me, it's not because he's saying, hey, keep going. You're going this is the way, keep going. No, it's because he loves me. That he walks with me when I go the wrong way. 
It's a sign of his love. It's not a sign of his approval. It means that he loves me too much just to let me wander away. He loves me too much just to watch me abandon my calling, abandon my hopes, and abandon my dreams and my purpose and my relationship with him. So he will walk with me even though I'm walking the wrong way. So Jesus comes alongside these two men. And they're, they're, they're blinded, so to speak, as to, to who he is. They don't recognize him. As they're talking about all the things that had happened over the last few days. And he asked them, hey, what, what are you guys talking about? Now, different Bible translations, they describe this differently. Some of them say that, the Amplified says that they stopped. They stood still, looking broken hearted. The New Living Translation says that sadness was written across their face. And the message tells us that they had long faces. These are all these descriptive words for having a broken heart. See, they had just been hit with a crushing blow in the death of Jesus. And their hearts were broken. Has anyone else ever been broken hearted? Something devastating happens to you. And your heart breaks. When you've got a broken heart, it doesn't take someone who's, you know, got a, a gift of discernment who, who can, you know, who really sees things that maybe aren't really there. Because when you've got a broken heart, it's literally written across your face. Your heart is smashed into a million pieces. Your spouse just pulled you aside and they said, you know what, it's over. I want a divorce. You receive news of a family member who passed away suddenly and unexpectedly. Out of the blue, you lost your job. A close friend betrays you. You found out that you, your personal struggles, your, your life situation was the topic of conversation around the water cooler at work. Teenage son or daughter, they wildly rebel. They're out of control. You get a bad doctor's report. Miscarried baby. And your heart is broken. We are all going to experience these times in life of heartbreak, of brokenheartedness, more than just once or twice. We are not immune to pain that will try to derail our lives, try to discourage us, try to cause us to turn around and walk the wrong way. Some of these things are just life, right? Like good thing or bad things happen to good people. It's life. If you're alive, you're living, you're breathing, there's going to be some bad things happen to you. Even if you do everything right, even if you're, you're a great person, you don't do anything wrong, you don't hurt anybody else, you're a champion for righteousness and justice, bad things will still happen to you. And then there are times when the enemy, because we have an enemy, his name is Satan, and his demons, they unleash, they launch their plans against you, and they try to take you out. Like, make, make no mistake. The enemy has a plan for your life. His plan involves stealing, killing, and destroying you. That's his mission for your life and for my life. And this is what these two men were experiencing in this story. See, Satan tried to destroy God's plan to save humanity, and Satan did that by killing Jesus. This was his plan that was in the works. Crucify Jesus. Take him out. Get him out of the story. Now he, God can't save humanity. See, in this moment of the story, that's all these two men are seeing. That their friend, Jesus, the Messiah, was crucified and he was killed. Evil people had killed their best friend. And they are brokenhearted, walking the wrong way. See, that's a choice that you can make 
when your heart is broken. You can allow the pain of heartbreak to stop you in your tracks and to begin to pull you away from Jesus, to begin to pull you away from community, from family, from your church, in isolation, separation. That's what the enemy wants for you. Sit down, get down low in your pain. Feel all your pain. You are all alone. No one is with you. It's hard to hear, but this is a choice that we make. We are not forced to turn around and walk the wrong way. It's a choice we make in our brokenness. So on one hand, I can choose in my brokenness, my brokenheartedness to walk away from Jesus. On the other hand, I've got this, this precious opportunity that does not last long. See, I've got an opportunity in the midst of my pain and my hurt and my broken heart to worship Jesus. In the place of my pain, in the place of my broken heart, See, when you're brokenhearted, you can either walk away from Jesus or you can walk towards Jesus. But it is our choice. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 15 says, Let us at all times offer up to God a sacrifice of praise. See, a sacrifice will cost you something. It takes effort. A sacrifice is a decision. It's an act of your will. You don't just you know, stumble into a sacrifice. It's something you have decided. I am going to do this. And you make a decision, a choice of your will. See, when things are going great in life, everything is sunshine, sparkles, and roses. Worship comes easy. It's easy to worship Jesus when everything in life is, 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 is great. Right? It's two thumbs up. I'm excited to come to church. I'm excited to worship today. But what about when it's not? See, when you, when you are in that place and your heart is broken, worship is a choice. Worship is a sacrifice coming to Jesus. But there is something so powerful, there is something so precious about worshiping Jesus in our pain. See, once that moment or that season of pain is gone, you can't go back and offer up worship in it. You've only got that moment in that moment of pain, to choose to walk away or walk towards Jesus. I can't offer up worship after that moment is gone. I only have that moment of brokenheartedness to sacrifice of praise, where I choose, I make a decision, a choice to step into the presence of God and worship Him for who He is, not for how things are going in my life. Like I said, it's easy to worship him for the things when, in my life when they're going well. But when they're not going well, I worship him for who he is. Not what he does for me. See, a broken and pain-filled hallelujah is a sweet sound in the ears of Jesus. And it actually releases healing for our broken hearts. See, the situation might not change. The situation might not ever change. But Jesus begins picking up the pieces of our broken heart. He knows where everyone is. There's not one piece of your heart, your broken heart that's lost. And he wants you to know today that you are not Humpty Dumpty. He can put you back together again. In the book of Psalms, Psalms 147, it's written and it's written as a, as a call to worship. And it would, it would be read and, and calling people into that place of worship. And in, in that psalm, there's this, there's this line, calling people to worship. It says, he heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds, healing their pain and comforting their sorrow. 
See, it's in turning towards Jesus and worshiping him through my pain that I receive the healing of my broken heart. I've been there. I've had my heart broken. And in that place of pain and brokenheartedness, I turn, I turn to Jesus and I received healing. And I turned to him not, not, in, not in anger, not in, in questioning him, but I turned to him in love. I turned to him in worship. See, I'm not demanding answers from Jesus, but I'd rather go through my brokenheartedness with Jesus than without every day, all day. I look around and I talk to people and I meet people who are in pain and they're hurting and they're doing it alone and without Jesus and I don't know how they do it. I can't, ima I can't imagine going through some of the things that I've gone through in my life apart from Jesus. See, is your heart broken? You need to know that Jesus is walking with you even if you're going the wrong way. And he's actually calling you into this place of worship where your heart can be healed because worshiping Jesus heals the brokenhearted. So the disciples begin to explain to Jesus, who they don't recognize, everything that, it, that has happened. And then they make this statement in the middle of explaining to Jesus all that went on. They say this, we were hoping. See, they had a picture in their minds of how everything was going to turn out when they started following Jesus. They had this picture in their minds, and then what actually took place looked nothing like the picture that they had in their minds. The message says it this way, we had our hopes up. They were disappointed. They were disappointed in what happened. They were disappointed in God. They were disappointed in Jesus. You ever been disappointed with God before? Author Matthew Henry says, if hope deferred makes the heart sick, then hope disappointed kills the heart. I've seen disappointment take people out. When things don't turn out as they expected, they begin to blame God and they follow disappointment the wrong way, away from Jesus. See, many times what we do is we actually try to hold Jesus um, hostage with our expectations. Because I have a picture of how I want my life to turn out, how I want a specific situation to turn out, and I want it to look exactly like this. And when it doesn't look exactly like this, then I'm disappointed because my expectations weren't met. And so then I tried to hold Jesus hostage saying, hey, if you're with me, if you're for me, if you love me, then it will look like this. And we try to force Jesus into that box. But Jesus will be bound by nothing but his word. See, these disciples would have heard Jesus teach plainly that he was going to suffer and die because he did not hide it from his followers. He told them that he would suffer and die at the hands of evil people. But then he also told them that he would rise again. It just didn't fit their understanding. They didn't quite get what he was saying, even though he said it plainly. But I can't blame God for my lack of understanding. I don't want to serve a God that I fully understand. Because if I fully understand God, that means I have made him and reduced him down to me. To my size. He tells us this in Isaiah 55, 8. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. See, on, on this side of heaven... 
there will always be an element of mystery in following Jesus because we actually do not have the, the capacity. We do not have the mental capacity to, uh, to understand him or his timing. See, we have, we have finite minds and our finite minds cannot comprehend an infinite God. It's impossible. So we have to come to this place of knowing that there's going to be mystery in following Jesus and there's going to be things that you do not understand because we're just people and we are not God. My wife and I, Renee, we were married August 5th, 2000. 23 years we celebrate this coming summer. We had a beautiful wedding. It was an incredibly hot day in the Canadian Rocky Mountains. We were in a tuxedo and you know what, when you're up in the mountains, when you're up high, it's hot, it gets really hot. But it was just an incredible day. Our families were there. Mine was, was local. That was where I grew up, where I was from. But Renee's family came from the East Coast. It was honestly one of the greatest days of my entire life. About four weeks after our wedding, we registered for college. It was our third year of ministry school. And on the second day of school, we got a call from Renee's mom. She, she told us that Renee's dad was diagnosed with cancer and that the doctor said we needed, we needed to go. We needed to go and see him. So we flew across the country to go and see him. Renee's dad was a pastor, powerful preacher. He had great faith. He saw amazing things, amazing miracles in his ministry, like healings and, and supernatural things, signs and wonders. He, he, he even had prayed and raised the dead. Renee was actually in the room for one of those. We come from a family of faith. This is a faith-filled family. Believing for miracles, standing on the promises of God, believing for healings. That's, that's the kind of people, that's the kind of family that we came from. So we flew across the country, not just to, to go be with Renee's dad to say goodbye, but we went to go, to go be with him so that we could pray for him and we could believe for his healing, that God would touch him and raise him up. Now, there were people praying locally because he was pastoring a church. So his church was praying night and day. He was well known in the, in the area where he lived. People were praying locally. People were also praying nationally for him. Praying for his miraculous healing. We believed. We knew that he would be healed. Six days after we got that phone call, we'd only been there a couple days, a few days. Renee's dad went home to be with Jesus. And we stood there wondering, what just happened? Stunned. This is not what we prayed for. This is not what we expected. We, we had just started our life together. Renee was 20 years old. She had just turned 20. Her dad was only 52. There was so much more to come. There was so much more life to live. And we disappointed. See, disappointment often comes when circumstances don't turn out like we had prayed for, like we had hoped, like we expected. We, we, we don't understand what just happened. Sometimes it, disappointment comes when, when, the, when God's timing doesn't line up with our timing. He doesn't, he doesn't work on our, time, on our timeline. We're on, we're on his timeline, but, but when those things don't line up, we get we get disappointed. And 
when we're disappointed, we can allow it to train wreck our faith or we can choose to trust Jesus despite the disappointment. I have to remind myself that Jesus doesn't work for me. I work for him, right? Jesus doesn't answer to me. I answer to him, right? <laughs> in, the movie, in the movie Rudy, if you've seen that old movie Rudy, Rudy's talking with the priest and he's like, ah, I've been doing this a long time, you know, 30 years or, or whatever. And he says, he says, I don't know a lot, but this, this I know. There is a God and I'm not him. I'm not God. He does not answer to me. I answer to him. I was never promised understanding. I was promised he'd never leave me. He'd never turn his back on me. He would never let me go. And I choose to trust that. I choose to trust his love and his goodness even when I don't understand it and even when I don't see it. When everything around me, nothing looks like it's good, nothing looks like it's loving, and I still trust that he loves me. I still trust that it's his goodness and it's his kindness that has formed me. Paul writes in the book of Philippians chapter 4 and verse 7, he talks about a peace that surpasses or goes beyond our understanding. See, if I want peace that goes beyond something that I can understand, then I have to give up my right to understand. I have to stop demanding that I understand what's happening. And when I stop demanding to understand and I choose to walk in trust and faith, then that's when his peace overwhelms me, even when it doesn't make any sense, even when I'm disappointed in how a situation turned out because this is not what I was believing for. This is not what I was praying for. This is, not, this is not what was prophesied over my life. But I still choose to trust him and to give up my right to understand and allow his peace just to wash over me. I may not have seen, we may not have seen my father-in-law's healing from cancer that day, but we continued to trust Jesus. We continued and still do pray for people to be healed, to experience the miraculous healing power of the, risen, the resurrected Jesus Christ. We've seen many people healed, many, many people healed. Some like, some like radical things that would just blow your mind. We've even prayed for people that were dying with cancer and they were, they were healed. Like they death sentence to, there's nothing wrong with you. We chose to trust Jesus in our disappointment and not allow it to train wreck our lives because that was a choice that we could have made. And many people do. They're disappointed and they're angry with God and they're like, I'm done, and they walk away. We're called believers for a reason, because we believe. You know, you can't, you can't be like, well, there was a time that I believed. No, you're a believer. It's a, it's a, it's a current happening right now, I, I believe. You, you really can't say, well, I used to believe. I just believe, and that's it. It never stops. It never changes, even when it doesn't turn out the way that I want it, even when I don't see the things that I prayed for. I just keep believing because I'm a believer, and I will never stop believing. That's what believers do. Believers believe. So Jesus walked with his disciples, his two friends, the wrong way. Why? To bring them back. He walks with me. He walks with you when we go the wrong way because he never stops loving us. He never gives up on us. We're not promised an easy life, but we are promised that Jesus will never leave us. So maybe this morning you're sitting here thinking, yeah, 100%, I'm walking the wrong way. I know I'm walking the wrong way. You're brokenhearted. You're disappointed with God. Or maybe there's something else that's taking place. You're like, you know what, I'm just... 
I threw in the towel. I quit. Know this, that Jesus is walking with you even though you're walking the wrong way. He wants to reveal himself to you and he wants to bring you back to relationship with him. So the disciples, they, they, they begged Jesus, who they didn't recognize, to stay with them, to have dinner with them because it was getting late. So they're sitting around the table and Jesus takes bread. He blesses it. He breaks it and he gives it to them. This is the exact thing that he did on the very last night that, he, that they saw him. He took bread, he blessed it, he broke it, he gave it to them. And when they took the bread, that broken bread from him, their eyes were open and they realized it was Jesus and then suddenly he was gone, gone. And they sat there and they were talking to one another about their burning hearts. Did not our hearts burn inside of us when we were walking with him on the road? Some of you today are having a burning heart experience. You're sitting here today and your heart's beating fast. And you feel it, what we would call it, in the, in the pit of our stomach. And you, this is like this burning heart experience. And what that is, is that's Jesus talking to you. That's Jesus pulling on the strings of your heart saying, hey, you're going the wrong way. Come back. Come with me. I want relationship with you. The situation might not get better, but I will be with you. I will never leave you together. I will get you through. I will heal your broken heart. Jesus talking to you. So come with your disappointment. Come with your broken heart. Come with your pain and your trauma. He wants you to come home because he wants relationship with you. Really, <laughs> some people wonder like, Jesus, what do you want? You. That's it. Nothing more, nothing less. He just wants you. He wants you to give your life to him. And honest, honestly, I've done it both ways. I lived without him and it was horrible. I, I train wrecked my life and I've lived with him. And I, no matter what happens, I will never go back. It was so bad without him. It's not going to be easy. I would never stand here and tell you that following Jesus is gonna be easy because it's not. It's not going to be perfect. You're going to mess up. We're going to mess up. You're going to have to forgive us. I'm going to have to forgive you. It's, this is not perfect. It's not easy. But Jesus will be with you. So if you're here today as we, as we wrap up, and you're like, you know, that is me. I did walk away. I'm walking the wrong way but I wanna come home. I wanna say yes to Jesus and everything that he has for my life. I'm just gonna ask you to raise your hand. Yeah, I see that hand. Come on. And I'm just gonna wait for a moment. I see that hand. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I see those hands. Yes. Yes, you're saying yes to Jesus saying yes to Jesus. Yeah, I see that hand. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. You need to know that he is not judging you. He is not shaming you. He is not condemning you. He is loving on you. That's what this is. This is a moment of Jesus loving on you. 
I want to tell you this morning, welcome home. Welcome to the family. turn the microphone over to, to Shelby. She's going to get a little bit of instruction as we close our service. Jesus, I thank you for what you have done for me. In the midst of confetti cannons and candy being thrown and kids screaming and all this stuff, you have been at work pulling on people's hearts. I thank you for the burning heart experience where you walk with us and you never give up on us. You don't quit on us. Even if we quit on you and walk away, you're still there. You are still there. We love you, Jesus.